Good morning, guys, and welcome to Meaty Medicine, uh, where it's just two guys chewing the fat about the meatiest concepts in medicine. I'm Caven, and fortunately, I'm not alone. I'm here with my good friend, Dwayne. G'day, mate. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> um, very excited to talk about HIV oh, AIDS with you today. It is, it is an infectious and viral topic for sure. <laughs> yes, I think it's great we're finally getting to talk about a virus given yes. the uh, yes. current situation globally. Yes, um, and, and I'm glad it's a virus that has really earned its stripes in the field of medicine rather than rather than, you know, just just a one-hit wonder like COVID has been. This is a real virus. This is a hmm. this is a long-standing player in the game. So, we're giving a bit of respect on its name today. 100%. I didn't quite realize what a kind of momentous role this virus played in history till we started talking about it. Because I think we just kind of miss the massive HIV scare, if you know what I mean. That's it. That's it. I must, I must say, um, do you remember, do you, do you remember, not where you were, but do you remember the first time you heard about HIV and, uh, and uh, what were your thoughts? Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, Dwayne, but <laughs> I remember being pretty shocked. It's yeah. a, uh, just, it's really quite a shocking virus in the way that it completely deconstructs your body's natural defenses. Mm. Um, mm. and I remember thinking this is one sneaky virus mm. because it's a retrovirus, isn't it? Yeah, Dwayne? That's right. That's um, right. I mean, I will right. definitely go into that. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Where do you want to start? To you? Oh, well, where did you first Mate, I'll tell you what. about? <laughs> I'll tell you what. There was, it was on ESPN, and people know I'm a big basketball fan. And yeah. back in the 80s and 90s, there was a great player called Magic Johnson who was the face of the league. And as it turns out, he was the first major sports star that came out and had to actually retire from basketball for a while because he had HIV. Right. Um, and, and I remember just watching that 30 for 30 documentary and just – seeing the things that he had to fight through um, mm. to get to get us. So I feel like, you know, although he was a famous person and a lot of people give him a lot of credit for his fight, it was just a microcosm of what people mm. who with this virus went through back in the day and and even, I guess, the stigma and stuff that they go through at the moment. So that's probably what hit me the hardest. But it's, it's it, you, sneaky is the word, big guy. Sneaky is the word. Yeah, and I think what I love about HIV – well, okay – <laughs> terrible way to start the sentence but <laughs> i think it's just a great example of how medical research and you know the real intellect of humanity has managed to surmount mm. and not defeat but yeah. definitely suppress this yes. really kind of virulent insidious virus i'd that's say the word insidious, yes, that's insidious. Word. That's that, that word is going to be appearing a lot today i that's think it. That's it. That's it. Um, so why don't we begin, Dwayne, with uh, the transmission routes of HIV? Okay. Okay. Well, um, yes. I mean, the main the main thing that people think about with HIV is they think that it is or it's, it's something associated with uh, sexual intercourse. Um, and they wouldn't be wrong, big guy, because uh, I believe it's responsible for about 80%, 70 or 80% of infections worldwide um 100%. but but oh, no no not 100 percent. i mean <laughs> oh 
Oh, 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 I, mean, oh <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was agreeing with you, like one hundred percent. I, I agree. Like, I, was like, I, was like, I was like, "Is Kate? This is this sounds like that line in Anchorman with like when that guy's like, does this perfume work?" And he's like, 60 percent of the time, it works all the time." <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, yeah, no. Thank you for your percentile affirmation of my <laughs> actual percentage. But you're right, you know, and and it's not, and it's not the risk is is almost you would say proportional. It's related to uh, the sexual act. So uh, the risk for men who have sex with men um, is, is about 0.5% for the receptive partner. Um, the risk for male and female sex, when we're talking about it, is 0.1%. Um, so about five times less risk of the receptive partner in male to male. Um, and mm-hmm. half of that for the male partner in a in a male-female sort of situation. Um, but there are there are some risk factors that sort of change the game for this sort um is that and we're going to talk about viral load later uh so i'm not going to touch on that but obviously the lower your viral load is um then obviously your risk of transmission drops uh quite a lot um circumcision so reduced risk of infection for circumcised men um and then also one thing that i sort of found interesting and also learned when we were doing the repo block was if you have genital inflammation but more so if you have almost like a comorbidity or coexistence of another infection mm. like HPV or genital herpes um, it actually increases the viral load or the viral concentration and therefore increasing your risk of uh, transmission so I would say probably sexual uh, transmission is probably the main one but do you do you do you know any others mate yeah just before we move on I did want to say that that's a really important point in general with STIs just mm. the idea that they travel impacts i know our lecturers were saying that a lot just because um yeah as you were saying for example with hiv that genital inflammation actually uh kind of increases the loads concentration um, quite interestingly um yeah so uh 100 agree that 80 percent of infections worldwide are due to sexual transmission um it's still worth mentioning that there are a few other method so i think the other important method is the vertical transmission so Mm. from mother to child i think that's roughly about i don't know 10 percent, 15 percent and then the other one uh that people are probably aware of is so the words parental i don't Mm. think i've ever said it aloud so hopefully Uh, you nailed it there you know perfect not like (laughs) ischemia no one says ischemia (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> ischemia ischemia anyway so parental just means you know things like needle stick injuries yeah. needle needle sharing um blood transfusions things like that anyway so to summarize the meat is this is an std yeah um in every sense of the oh you gotta use the word sti now mate you oh no oh no, no. No, sorry, I'm a bit out of date on meaty medicine. It is STI. <laughs> it is an infection. Uh, the, is it? Is it because disease is like the actual damage, whereas infection? Yeah, and I feel there was the a bit more. There was a bit more sort of stigma, I believe. Oh, disease, okay. which is why there was a move to uh, to STIs. Um, but but I don't want to be the authority on that. But I know that people do get, and probably mm. rightfully so, get a bit prickly when you say. Uh, yeah, well, Dwayne, we are nothing if not politically correct. Oh, oh, we we are as vanilla as two coloured men get. 
<laughs> we're not here to ruffle no feathers. We've only gotten eight followers on Instagram, so we can't. I wish two of them believe it's probably us. So I'm pretty sure the other four are like, you know, those random bot accounts that follow oh, you on yeah. Instagram for no oh, 100%, reason. So, 100%. Yeah. Apologies if you are not a random bot account, but. Um, there's yes. a Russian woman okay. named Lachusko who's following us. Like, oh, <laughs> but here we go. Lachusko. Wow, Lachusko. hey, I'll have to, have to give that one a look later. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Right. We've already got derailed and we've only talked about transmission. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe we should talk. So we've talked about how it kind of gets into your bloodstream. Yeah. Maybe we should talk about... Um, just very kind of generally mm. how it gets into the cell and basically how it works. Yeah. Does yeah. that kind of make sense? Yeah. So you're talking more about the pathophys sort of situation? Is that what you want to talk about? Or? Well, I think there's kind of like two parts to this, right? We can talk yeah. about the pathophysiology of the symptoms yes. and we can yes. talk about just how the virus itself operates. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so maybe, Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll start off then with just how the actual virus comes to, like you said, take over the cell, and yeah. then we can maybe go to the path of uh, to the symptoms if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, in terms of the virus, um, so like I said, is that and you mentioned it's a retrovirus, and that's mm. going to play a huge, huge role. And what we want people to sort of focus on is that as we talk through how this virus not only invades your cell but then replicates keep in mind that these are going to be the targets for the antiviral therapy that we talk about mm. later. So this is the really good thing. Like in episode mm. one, we spoke about um, stroke and we talked about what the different arteries supply the part of the brain. So you're thinking, you're thinking cognitively and be like, ah, oh, okay, that's what that's doing. If we block it, that's going to be the result. So it's always linked to it. So essentially the virus, the virus comes in, your mucosal layers are exposed to it. Um, and, and the key and the key things are is that the the viral the virus the HIV virus has got certain proteins on the outside of it, um, and these proteins are not going to help it not only going to help it adhere but also actually help it fuse its membrane and enter um, you know your antigen presenting cells but also your CD4 cells which is which is really what this virus goes after. Um, we're not going to get too much into the specifics of what the receptor and stuff is, but just know that the first step is it's binding and then it's it's entering. And the entering is actually a fusion of the membrane of the immune cell that it's trying to penetrate, but also its own membrane. So you have membrane fusion. It's a huge part of that, and you need to actually uncoat the proteins uh, from the outside for that to happen. Um, do you want to talk about maybe the next stage, mate, once it's now actually in it and more to the fact that it's a retrovirus? Yeah, so Dwayne talked about how it kind of attaches and fuses with your immune cell. And the key thing was just that that immune cell needs to have this a CD4 protein. Mm -hmm. So the classic cell that has that is a CD4 T cell, but... Um, a CD4 proteins also on a few other immune cells like macrophages and dendritic cells. Oh, we won't get too deep into it though. Um, but yeah, once it attaches and fuses, the next kind of important step is it's it's got through the door and now it's going to take off its coat 
basically, which is so it literally uncoats. Yeah. And what it does, it has this it has this enzyme called reverse transcriptase. Mm. And essentially what that does is it takes the viral RNA and it converts it into what we call a cDNA, mm. which is basically a copy of the RNA, but now in DNA form. And the really important thing about this actually is reverse transcriptase is really error prone. It's really bad Mm. at copying that RNA and making the DNA copy. So Mm. while that sounds like a bad thing, it's actually a really good thing for the virus because what that means is it has a high mutation rate, Mm -hmm. which is very problematic when it comes to targeting this virus with drugs because mm. since it has such a high mutation rate it's always changing it's always adapting so mm. that's one aspect of why this is such an annoying virus mm. is it has such a high mutation rate um does that sound good to you that Dwayne? Sounds, that 100 100 yeah. and and that's the thing is because when i was when we were studying it in, our, in my notes uh when i looked at like high error rate i was for some reason had just revised cancer the day before mm. and cancer is all about the fact that you've got all these mutations and it's terrible mm. for the person but it's good for the cancer cell and in the same way the fact that there's such a high error rate mutation rate you're going to have different sort of variations of this uh mm. which is why then you've got to attack it from different aspects um so i guess like like you said they've uncoated they've now made themselves very much at home um <laughs> but, in order, but in order almost almost uninvited to be fair um mm. but the next part is is something that we all love um uh, which is integration um in calculus integration is yeah. the opposite of differentiation uh but but in hiv this is a key part because like you like Kevin said you've taken the viral rna you made it into a cdna but now to really get all those viral protein and components and replication to go we need to integrate, well, no, I don't need to, but the virus needs to integrate this new cDNA into the actual host DNA of the cell. Uh, and it does it through another viral enzyme called HIV integrase, HIV integrase, yeah. which is quite simple because if you think about it, it's integrating uh, the, 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 the cDNA uh, into the cell's DNA. Um, a key part over here is that um, I'm, not a big, I'm not a big sort of genetics and and whatever this is, this sort of stuff, guy. But there is something called a long terminal repeat because you know how DNA strips have a five prime and a three prime end. The long terminal repeat is really important because it acts as a gene promoter. It acts as a gene promoter, so it pretty much takes advantage of any uh, external factors, certain proteins that can be made during T cell activation. Which is mean, you know, because you're by this stage, your body's trying to work out like, hold on, there's something going on here. And it actually uses those conditions, those external factors to promote this entire process. And, and, and through this, you're going to have transcription and translation as you would with any other, you know, protein that the body produces, except that this process is going to result in the production of viral proteins. And, and after that, mate, talking about viral proteins, what's the last? sort of stage in terms of the micro evolution of these well just before i move on to that i just do want to belabor that point because that to me is the second aspect of why this virus is so sneaky because Mm. 
once it puts that cDNA in your own DNA, you yep. mentioned that promoter sequence. Mm. And the whole idea is that this promoter sequence um, is affected by various external factors, okay? Mm. And one of those external factors is it's actually activated by NF-kappa-B proteins, mm. which are the proteins that are made during T-cell activation. Yep. So what that actually means is when your T-cell is activating to fight in an immune response mm. that is also very insidiously upregulating the production of viral proteins inside it True. so it's this whole like horrific feedback loop where your t-cells are activating your immune response is activating to fight this virus mm. but at the same time it's producing protein um itself Yep. That uh, that ultimately are upregulating the viral load, so it's yeah. a real problem. It's it's once it's inside your DNA, yeah, uh, you're in trouble. You're in you a lot of trouble. You are. In trouble. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that is what happens. So it's it's put its DNA in yours, and now it's using your machinery to mm. build viral proteins. Yeah. And then the last stage is where. It's, it's built all these proteins using your machinery. And then I think there is a viral protease that mm. kind of chops up um, this big string of viral proteins that's produced. And yep. once they've been chopped up, they're in their active form mm. and they're ready to head on out. They've, so they've <laughs> essentially come into your house, that's they've right. used your kitchen that's to all. kind of whip up a meal. The <laughs> They've hung their coat by the door. Oh, they're coming to your kitchen. They've whipped up a meal um, and they're taking it to go. They're and they've right. left the dishes. They've left the dishes. <laughs> like they're just, what animals? What animals? Exactly. And even more so, they've left their mates hanging out oh, in your kitchen and oh. they've like, they've put a permanent chef almost <laughs> in place. <laughs> you know? <laughs> how, how, this is a tenuous link. This <laughs> No, but you're right, and you're right, and I and I want to just use a word that Kevin used, which is belabor. Is that the thing that's just coming to me is insidious. It's insidious. Mm -hmm. You know, this is unlike many other viruses which come and you think you're done, you get over it. Uh, mm -hmm. But no, this just finds a way to use your body, which is trying to fight the good fight against against itself. Mm -hmm. um, I guess so. So, Kevin, now now that we've talked talked about the the micro or rather just the viral sense of it let's move mm -hmm. on i think maybe to the different sort of phases of infection because yeah. this will be this will be not only at a cellular level but maybe down the line at a symptomatic level what a lot of people associate with and probably find more interesting with infection with with hiv so what's the sort of first phase or first sort of step of the infection pathway yeah, so I think the way to think about this is there's three main phases, like you just said. There's kind of the acute phase, the chronic phase, and the AIDS, the degeneration into yeah. AIDS. So um, the first stage is that acute infection. Or actually, maybe I should talk about there is a bit of a grace period. There's a two to four week kind of window period where 
you know, it's kind of just coming in the door. Um, yeah. not, it's not doing anything too serious yet. I think it's yeah. it is replicating, mm. but it mm. hasn't really reared its head yet. Yeah. Um, so that'll take two or four weeks. And then mm. you move into that first stage, which is the acute infection. And mm. this is when it's going, it's hardcore replicating. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's wreaking havoc. It's finding those CD4 cells. It's mm. fusing. It's taking off its coat. It's jumping into the kitchen. It's yeah. mass producing itself. Uh, it's integrated into your DNA. Mm. And your body during this eight to 14 weeks is on, it's just freaking out, right? Cause it's yeah. never seen anything like this. Um, yeah. And it doesn't have uh, kind of immune cells ready to fight it because it's yeah. never seen this before. Yeah. So that's why um, you'll be kind of symptomatic for this period, I think. So mm. um, I don't think it's your, I don't think you're hugely symptomatic, but I yeah. think you have kind of, Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember now. So um, for those weeks, you'll either have a kind of vague fever or fatigue. Yeah, yeah. But I think for a lot of people, they don't even show symptoms. Is mm. that correct, Dwayne? I would say so. That that was the thing is that I think it's almost up to half of people who are infected with this are actually asymptomatic, right. um, which, okay. is, which is actually playing perfectly into the hands of this virus to really get its, really get its claws in, I guess. So you know, you're totally mm. right there, mate. Mm, okay. And then what happens next, right? Yeah. So, I mean, then you sort of enter, are we talking about the chronic phase, the chronic latent phase? Is that what we're feeling? Yeah, that's now? what yeah. I was thinking. That's right. So you've got the acute phase. Now you're in the chronic phase, mate. And essentially this, this, this lasts about say two to 10 years um, where your CD4 count or your CD4 T cells uh, are greater than this particular threshold that we're going to talk about, right? Um, mm -hmm. So essentially what is happening though is that and there are a fair few graphs about this. So if anyone sort of seen the HIV graph, it's almost burnt into our heads of whoever's done any healthcare because they love asking this. But during this time, you've got certain strains of the virus. There's a certain strain called X4. And we're just talking about co-receptors in terms of binding. But it's starting to target specifically T cells, CD4 T cells, that are just usually that, that are usually in your lymphoid tissues. So it's really starting to go at it. This doesn't necessarily be happening in all patients, but the main takeaway from this point is that the viral replication in this phase is contained to lymphoid tissue, uh, which I like to think of as almost like this warehouse or garage of all things immune. Mm -hmm. uh, it starts to chip away at the T cells, and slowly that count of CD4 T cells it's starting to decrease and it's starting to decrease. And essentially you're using CD4 T cells can sometimes be almost like a surrogate parameter of how strong your immune system is just on a very basic level, you know? So, so this is the thing. And, and then obviously we talked about that threshold. Once that threshold of CD4 cells gets below 400 is where Kevin's going to take us next, unless he has anything else to add to this phase about the symptomatic chronic thing, which I think is the third part, isn't it? Mate? Yeah. So I think one thing we probably should have just mentioned was the idea that the entire progression of the symptoms are essentially mm. correlated to how many CD4 T cells mm. you have. Mm. So the kind of course of this disease is 
you are just continuously losing T cells, mm. CD4 T cells, as yep. your as that HIV virus keeps on replicating and chipping away. Yep. So as Dwayne just said, during that chronic phase, you kind of still have enough T cells to fight away most other bugs. Mm. Um, so you're not really showing that many symptoms, but because... Um, as he also mentioned, they're mainly hanging, uh, the virus is mainly hanging out in your lymphoid tissues. Mm. Some people do show, I think, lymphadenopathy. Yeah. So they have kind of like sore lymph nodes because that's where, that's essentially where the battleground yeah. is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this whole time, uh, you're losing more and more T cells. Um, and I think that's w- what is so. Um, kind of scary to me in that you kind of almost don't even realize your entire defense, your immune defense is just slowly being insidiously degraded. Mm. And yeah, it's quite terrifying. Um, So yeah. And then you arrive at that, uh, as Dwayne said, your T cells drop below a certain threshold eventually. Mm. And that's when you hit, that uh, real symptomatic chronic phase. Um, so we're still within the chronic phase, but now you're starting to show some kind of abnormal infections. And the reason for that is now that you don't have as strong an immune system, uh, some pathogens that are usually hanging, uh, hanging out around us suddenly are stronger than your immune system and can kind of set up camp inside you Mm. so um the ones i like to think of for opportunistic infections that are non-aids defining Mm. so the ones you'll see during this towards the end of this chronic phase i like to think gob and groin so (laughs) yeah a bit bit vulgar but um so in your gob uh you see this thing called hairy In your gob, your mouth. Have you never heard of that? No, you said gob. You said gob. I don't know what a gob is. No, a G-O-B, Dwayne, a gob. Oh, maybe I mean gab. Do I mean like gift of the gab? No, I think I mean gob. This is a slippery slope, big fella. Just keep going with with gob. Okay, so gob to me means mouth. I don't know what it means to everyone else, but... um. Yeah, so in the mouth, you'll see this thing called hairy leukoplakia, which is um, this kind of white patch on the side of your tongue, and that's caused by an opportunistic um, uh, EBV infection, so Epstein-Barr virus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on your, in terms of your groin, oh, no, wait, we're still in the gob. You might also see oral ca- is it candiasis? Yeah, candiasis. I think so. so. Candiasis. Yeah. candiasis. And that's literally just a yeast infection in your mouth. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, in your mouth, you'll be seeing some weird kind of infections happening. And then also for women, it's common that they'll get uh, vaginal infections more frequently. So, again, the yeast infection and I think trichomonas that... Yep. I think that's a protozoa. I'm not it's sure. My, it's characterized yeah. by fro- frothy yellow-green discharge. There we go. Um, yeah, so you'll definitely no- start to notice things yes. are going yes. wrong at this stage. Yeah. And then what Then what happens, Dwayne? Well, look, like you said, that is sort of like you're starting, you're symptomatic 
you're starting to see things, but they're technically not. Uh, what was the term used? AIDS, AIDS defined. They were non AIDS defining. Sorry, uh, but when that threshold now drops below, and look, these thresholds are there. There's a lot of conjecture about this, so don't take it mm. to gospel that it's 400, 200. But as soon as you get to that point where it's around a T cell count of less than 200, this is where now you're going to see some AIDS defining conditions. And for all intents and purposes, you are now in a state of immunocompromise. Um, so so um, in, terms of, in terms of those opportunistic infections, you're going to start seeing some ones that you would or that I've only usually seen uh, in cancer patients who, for all intents and purposes, are also immunocompromised because of chemotherapy and the treatment. So, uh, you know, you're going to start seeing infections like recurrent pneumonias. Um, and not only with the pneumonias, you're going to start seeing um, very weird uh, sort of very, 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 um, uh, what's the word I'm, I'm, I'm looking for? Very, be- it's, it's, I don't know if beautiful is the word, but oh, what's the what's the word? Ken? Very exotic, very exotic. Oh, exotic! I exotic. see. And my favorite one I like to think about is the pneumocystis pneumonia, what they call pneumogirovaceae, um, where essentially this is one thing that I've only seen in really immunocompromised cancer patients. Um, so, but the fact that this now all these infections, these exotic. Uh, infections, opportunistic infections, you know, uh, a candida infection of the esophagus, another example, uh, is now almost commonplace, is a really, is a hallmark of the fact that you are, for all intents and purposes, you don't have an immune system. Or rather, let me take that back, you don't have a well-functioning immune system. Yeah. Um, and also around this sort of um, period, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, infections or there's a lot of viruses and pathogens that humans carry around in their body that are once they're there they go into a latent mode because they're kept in check by our our functioning immune system but now that that it's almost like you know you're you're at the you're at the clubs uh and and then you've got the bouncers keeping the drunks out but now the bouncers themselves have Uh... slacked off a little bit or they've heard a a very catchy song like the WAP song, WAP, or whatever this big thing is going on right now, and they're dropping it like it's hot because of global warming. Now you're going to have all these latent viral infections suddenly spark up. So like Kevin mentioned, EBV now can start affecting your central nervous system. CMV, cytomegalovirus, can start causing retinitis. Um, there tends to be There tends to be uh, sort of, I guess, aggregates or reservoirs of CMV and our digestive system and our gastrointestinal system so all of a sudden and they are usually kept in line by those you know those lymphoid tissues like the payers patches and stuff like that so now that the body the bodyguards have gone or the or the bouncers have gone all all these homies who are just hanging around are just like yo it's free you know so and another one that we see is the carposi sarcoma mm-hmm. um which is a type of skin lesion as well so just think all these infections that you would normally not really hear of in with a person with a normally healthy functioning immune system now becomes commonplace in this very late symptomatic stage AIDS defining sort of situation. Yeah, another way to think about it that I kind of envision, um, not to uh, cut your grass with the <laughs> club metaphor, Dwayne, I did enjoy that. <laughs> I think uh, the one I tend to go for is 
everyone has a few weeds sitting around their garden. So mm. we all have these kind of viruses sitting in our system. Mm. Um, but, you know, my dad, he wanders around the garden every mm. month mm. or two and with the big thing of weed killer and he'll do a big kind of weed holocaust and get rid of all of them. Uh, except, except for one or two, right, that are still yep. hanging around there. So he needs yep. to go around every month and just, mm. like, mm. make sure they're, keep, they're kept in check, which is That's essentially right. what your immune system does. It's That's keeping, right. it's suppressing these viruses, these That's other, right. you know, like you said, EBV, CMV, human mm. herpes virus. Mm. Is that right? Human herpes yeah, virus. Yeah, I was trying to work out what HHV is, but I think you're right. It is human herpes virus. Yeah. Right. Um. So when the when dad with the weed killer is not there anymore, these things are going to go to town, right? And your garden's just going to get filled with weeds, and that's how you start. It's quite classic with these viruses are causing kinds of cancers now. Yeah. So, yeah. and they're just completely AIDS defining. I think yeah. in that yeah. you yeah. need to be immunocompromised to get yeah. these. Yeah. Um, Great. I think that kind of covers the course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just think about Caven's dad being suppressed. I think is the is Caven's takeaway from all this. Just think about it. <laughs> the suppression of Caven's father. And, and where does the grass end and the weeds begin? Like I prefer to think he ran out of weed killer, Dwayne. I think that's a nicer. No, but, the way, but the way you said it, you're like, oh, I, just, I like to think about my dad every month going up weed killer. Uh, which is fair enough, fair enough. I think you have a shot at Fred Quadros who turned 60 yesterday who doesn't do any gardening. But okay, I mean, I see where we're going with this. I see where we're going. <laughs> so tell me, hey. Kevin, tell me, Kevin. So now we've talked about the course. We've talked about mm. the viral viral micro stuff. We've now talked about how they manifest. How do we test and diagnose HIV? I'm sure people want to know that. Mm, yeah, so obviously this is super important from a public health perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's kind of two stages in this. Mm. There's the screening tests and there's the confirmatory tests. Right? Sure, sure. So for the screening, I think the, uh, the thing to note here is there is a whole kind of plethora of HIV um, tests that mm. uh, they have a lot of options, but I, we're just going to talk about the ones that are kind of the first choice tests that you probably get done, sure. uh, say in Australia. Yeah. Um, so the first choice screening test we have is this thing called the HIV antibody antigen combination screening test. Mm -hmm. And um, basically it's an ELISA based test. Mm -hmm. So what that means is uh, it's this test that detects the presence of a particular protein um, in a liquid by basically what it does is we make these artificial antibodies and direct them against the protein we're trying to detect uh, that are directed against the protein we're trying to detect mm -hmm. and then if they find that protein we're trying to detect they bind to it and there's some kind of signal like a color change or something yeah. that's a lot of unnecessary detail but basically mm -hmm. the important thing about this test is if you get a negative result, it yep. def it almost definitely rules out HIV. Yep. But if you get a positive result, it it's not fully a confirmation that you definitely have HIV. So oh. it's useful for that's why it's a good screening tool, right? Because yep. it yep. definitely rules out if you like it rules out HIV, but it doesn't mm. confirm HIV. Mm. Um, okay. Yes, and I think. 
Do you know about the other screening test story? Is this the is this the rapid test? Is that what this mm. is? Right. So yeah. l- look, I'm going to be honest. I don't know too much about the rapid test. What I do know is that it's it's quite quick, as the name gives away. Um, it only takes about twenty minutes, plus or minus. Um, it's a bit like for those who you know who have who are who are used to glucose monitoring. It is a does it say finger prick or fingerprint? What are we looking at here? Oh no, I think it is finger prick. Yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so you do your fingerprint, and then it tells you, yeah, oh, you got the HIVs. Yeah, so I think it's done by because yeah, I think you need blood. <laughs> okay, um, this is why they fingerprint everyone. No, um, so yeah, it's a very quick thing, and you're really focusing on the antibody. It's an antibody only test, so we're not going to go too much into the actual specificities of it mainly because i have no idea but um you need to know you need to know that that this is a quick one it takes about 20 minutes it's done via a finger prick blood test or a micro collect um but it's it's slightly less reliable it's slightly less reliable i feel um than than the elisa test so think about the elisa test or the elisa test um as your as your first choice screening test um and obviously what kevin's now going to talk about if we've got a positive on the screening test we then have to do a confirmatory test don't we big guy Mm. just on that rapid test i think i have a feeling that's the one they typically do at gps because the whole useful Uh, thing about it is you don't need a lab to do it um whereas i think with the other one the combination screening test which is Mm. more like uh what do you call it accurate mm, mm. Uh, i'm pretty sure you need to send that to a lab and that's right, a right. boss and you know i think it's nicer for someone to do the rapid one just because they only have to wait 20 minutes because yeah. you know that's going to be a stressful 20 minutes that's, that's uh, intense. waiting to find out if you have hiv anyway they yeah. take your fingerprints without asking you why and you're like <laughs> mate Mate, I've got a fever. I haven't stolen something. Like, what's happening? <laughs> if Kevin ever becomes a GP, he's going to take your fingerprints. Just, no okay, we just need to confirm right now that rapid test is done with a finger prick, not a fingerprint. Okay. <laughs> so what is the confirmation test, mate? Oh, dear. Yeah, okay. The confirmation test. So this is the one that's going to tell you if you have HIV, all right? So you did your screening test. It's positive. Mm -hmm. You're very, you know, you're a nervous man, you would be, or woman. Um, So the the doctor goes, okay, now we're going to do our confirmation test. So what this is, is a HIV antibody differentiation immunoassay they do it in the lab. It checks for HIV one or two antibodies. Yeah. Takes about twenty minutes as well. Mm. Um, now I'm pretty sure that if you get a negative result for this yeah. after having a positive screening test, mm-hmm. they will triple check by doing a full on PCR test. So uh-huh. they'll actually, kind of search for the DNA, sure. uh, the viral DNA. Sure. Or sure. Is it, yeah. So. Um. Yeah, I think, and obviously, if it's positive, you've you've got HIV. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not ideal. So, no, no, yeah, have you got anything to add to that? No, no, you bang on, you bang on, and yeah. yeah, essentially, I had to do a quick Google, but yeah, PCR just essentially just amplifies a small sample of DNA to make sure you can study it in detail. So, no, you know, you nailed it on the head, big guy. All right. Okay. Um, okay, Dwayne, now mm. we're on to the, the meat. 
Yes. Uh, how do you treat HIV? Um, yeah, well. <laughs> big question. Big Very question. big question. Big question. So, so the, the, there's a few key things to know about is that back in the day, I believe, and I love a good story that starts with back in the day. But I think, <laughs> I think, I think the main thing is to realize that there are several targets for antivirals. And, and, and what we're going to realize is that back in the day before pharmacology um, and pharmaceutical development came all the way, it was a reality. And Magic Johnson, who I talk about, the great basketball player, used to speak about the fact that he had to sometimes take up to eight to 10 different tablets um, mm. you know, just to, just to, just to keep this, keep the keep the viral load low so what we've got to realize now is that when we start talking about combination therapy um is that is that it's now really just that is the fact that this has increased uh patients who's who are suffering hiv their adherence to therapy because it's not you're not carrying around you know a bloody uh, santa claus bag of tablets and it is and it's much more discreet as well so the the, the key thing is that all people who are infected with HIV, regardless of their CD4 count, uh, we want to be starting combined antiviral retroviral yeah. therapy. We call it CART therapy um, as soon as possible, as soon as possible. You know, so and that's why that early detection, the early screening, the early confirmation um, um, is is a really key thing. Obviously, if we had to prioritize, because there's just not, you know. Uh, you can't you can't give everyone with in terms of funding and all that sort of stuff. Uh, those patients who obviously have a low CD4 count, so we're getting towards that area where we're starting to see non-AIDS defining to AIDS defining. Um, we're going to prioritize them if they've got a high viral load. Obviously, we're going to prioritize, and then and then a no-brainer is that if they're already at the stage of AIDS defining illness, uh, where we talked about you know Kevin's dad suppressing weeds and running out of weed killer. Uh, which is just a powerful, powerful image. Um, <laughs> you're gonna have to prioritize that as well. So, and a key thing is, is that the genotype of the HIV is going to really have a big impact on on the therapy. I guess so. So, what I've done is that I have bypassed Kevin's question um, of, of trying to answer his his ridiculously big question by just laying out. <laughs> rules just laying down some rules because once we know the rules then we can now talk about specifics in terms of drugs and where they and where they attack so do you want to maybe get us started uh, started on those different families you really just caught that basketball and threw oh. it right back didn't you hey, they, call it, they call it a hospital pass big guy they call it a hospital pass all right well, the way I see HIV treatment, there is no point in us going into a heap of detail, but um, we did mention those stages in kind of the viral colonization of cells, mm -hmm. and this is where your antivirals are going to act. So mm -hmm. at each of those stages, different kinds of antivirals will attack different points of their colonization. So... Yeah. For example, some antivirals, uh, the fusion inhibitors, uh, are going to kind of stop the virus getting in the front door. It's like yeah. putting, yeah. it's like locking the front door, almost, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I would advise people to do anyway. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. So fusion entry inhibitors. Yeah. Uh, then I think another important one was reverse transcriptase inhibitors. Yeah. So. These are the these will essentially stop 
the virus are producing the DNA that it's going to stick into your genome. Yeah. So that you can imagine is also a pretty effective way to stop the virus yeah. kind of replicating. Yeah. Do you know any of the other types? Yeah, of- yeah. In terms of what you said, mate, about the reverse transcriptase inhibitors, mm. it's a good thing to know that there are two types. Uh, and, and we're not going to go too much into detail, but essentially if you think about enzymes back in high school biology, there's something called competitive inhibition and non-competitive inhibition, right? So competitive inhibition, they're going to go at the active site and they're going to cause some sort of direct disruption to the status quo. Whereas non-competitive inhibition, you're really enjoying this, but I I, was, I never went to a single biology lesson, but here we are. <laughs> I used to talk about the football with the other teachers. Um, but whereas non-competitive inhibition goes and targets something else, right? Some mm-hmm. other part of the structure. So, You've got what they call nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors. That's going to go and mess with the. That's going to go and mess with the actual active site. But then you've also got non-nucleoside, almost as an insurance policy, that it's just going to try and bind to a different site and just bring the reverse transcriptase to its knees. Because, like we said before, the reverse transcriptase is the cash money of the whole process of the viral replication. <laughs> we call this a retrovirus because it's got reverse transcriptase, right? So, mm. so there's you if you want to double up on any of the points of target, it has to be the reverse transcriptase. But going on from there, um, obviously we talked about integrase and how that's so important to take the cDNA and chuck it into your DNA. So we've got integrase inhibitors, um, and it stops that stops that enzyme obviously working. And then finally, Caven mentioned that now you've got this huge sort of chain of all the proteins and it needs to be cleaved. So you've got protease inhibitors as well. Now, there is there is a bucket load of different drugs, but I think it's more useful uh, to know the, the the targets or what we're trying to target, you know, so and then you mm-hmm. can put one or two drugs at your own at your own sort of uh, sort of uh, uh, choice. Uh, but but yeah, so like Caven said, You've got fusion inhibitors or entry inhibitors. You've got two types of uh, retrovirus, uh, inhib- sorry, the reverse transcriptase inhibitors. And then you've got integrase inhibitors and protease. So ev- at every point, uh, we're, trying to, we're trying to shut the system down. And that's what, what do they call it, Kevin? Do they call it heart therapy or is it cart therapy? I think there's a few. Yeah, I think that's referring to the fact that yeah, so CART means combined antiretroviral mm. therapy. Mm. And as you alluded to earlier, in the past, it was really tough as uh, someone suffering from HIV because um, you need to kind of, we mentioned all these different targets and to properly suppress uh, the replication, you really need to be kind of hitting multiple targets at once. Yeah. So in the past, it was quite tough because you had to be taking, you know, eight or nine tablets, yes. which are all hitting these different targets. But the beautiful thing about today is they've made it a lot easier by mm. creating pills, you know, that have um, multiple kinds of drugs um, within the one pill. Mm. And that means that... Um, you've essentially got one pill that's attacking lots of different targets during right. in the kind of replication cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. And, then, and then obviously that is going to reduce stigma. It's going to make it easier to adhere to it. And then obviously that's going to get the best therapeutic outcome for, for patients and everyone involved. So that's a, a win on all fronts, I guess. Well, in terms of therapeutic outcome, 
mm. to throw the basketball hard Ooh. at you, <laughs> what yeah. actually is the therapeutic outcome? Are they cured? Like, what do you what do you mean? I, I don't I don't think they're cured, mate. I don't think they're cured. Right. But because, like you said before, this is not something that you can and just to use COVID terms that we've all heard this year. It's not an elimination strategy; it's a suppression strategy, isn't it? I mean. Yeah. Because like we said, if you can get that viral load to as low as possible, and I mean like sometimes you can get to the point where it's an undetectable viral load, this means that you've been so judicious and so committed to your therapy and it's working that there's not enough HIV for you to actually pass it on. You know, So in other words, you are almost non-infectious, or you are not infectious in other words. You know, So if you leave HIV untreated, on average, about eight to 10 years after infection, it's going to lead to the death of the patient. Um, and, and, and in fact, now, because of, the, because of how good the retroviral drugs are, and, and once again, this, the caveat here is, is that the patient, um, number one, has the funding, and number two, has the support and the commitment around him or her to keep taking this therapy. The life expectancy now of HIV individuals is 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 who who receive adequate intra-retroviral treatment and they're adhering to it is approaching that of non-infected individuals and i think that is the biggest win out of all of mm. this uh, is that we have mm. come such a long way but it is once again like many like many sort of chronic health conditions you think blood pressure you think cholesterol you think any of that stuff and obviously you can argue can it be cured or not but adherence is such a huge thing to the point that you can really live as normal, and I hate the word normal, but you can live as close to a life as you had possible in terms of quality of life, as long as we can stay committed to that therapy. And obviously, if we work out the therapy is not working, we make those changes early on and keep appraising and keep reviewing how effective that therapy is on keeping that viral load under under, under wraps, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm, mm, um, mm. One thing, one thing I think to think about here is that is that there is still other comorbidities that our patients with HIV, even if they're taking all these drugs, can develop. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so it's the fact it's the fact that, and sometimes it may be related to the viral load, but a lot of the times, if you think about it, mate, you're putting a lot of you're putting a lot of different powerful drugs into your body they're going to have an effect some way, aren't they? They're going to have an effect Mm -hmm. some way. So there are a few things like diabetes, vascular disease, liver disease that are related to toxicities, which can be attributed to all these different antiretroviral drugs. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and and, uh, can, can, can the actual fact that you've got HIV infection, can that cause some sort of, I guess, non immune based comorbidities as well? Yeah, I'm not too sure on this, but I think the like the actual HIV infection itself, even though it is so suppressed, can mm. actually be behind a few of the other comorbidities also. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think some stuff to do with the kidneys and your vascular system. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think the real meat of it is that... Um, the therapy means that they can essentially their lifespan will is approaching that of a non-infected person, mm-hmm. but yes, they will have some chronic comorbidities <coughs> yeah. and increased likelihoods for certain conditions. Yeah, um, yeah. 
but yeah. And I think the other really important point is just that idea you mentioned about if they are on top of their therapy, um, they should have an undetectable viral load, which yeah. means that there is such a small amount of the virus in their bloodstream, it's mm. undetectable, which means that they can't pass it on to their sexual partner, which mm. to me was almost the biggest part yeah. of this because yeah. there is such yeah. a stigma about yeah. HIV. Mm. And um, this tri- it is life-changing, right? Yeah. The knowledge yeah. that if you're on top of your therapy, uh, you will not pass on this, in, you know, as we said, insidious degenerative yeah. virus, yeah. Uh, you know, to the person you're in a meaningful relationship with right or all your sexual partners whether that's meaningful or not in general you don't want to be passing this on correct correct correct. yeah so yeah quite a victory in that respect yeah um yeah yeah was there anything else we wanted to talk about Dwayne? oh no not not, nothing particularly nothing particularly um do we want to do we want to just broach the thing about any prevention strategies like pre- oh yeah up. that is quite practical i, I think, think we should talk about that i think that's maybe, maybe mm. you want to uh you want to start us off with that. <laughs> <laughs> you are flinging that basketball <laughs> I, would, All right. I, I would i would i would complain to your dad but he's probably outside putting the, putting the <laughs> but no tell, tell me about are there any prevention strategies uh used yeah there? okay okay so we mentioned all these anti uh antivirals that are really effective at keeping that viral load low um so there are a few kind of what would you call it like prophylactic measures yeah, that people good. use yeah so Let's see. I think you have PrEP, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis. Um, And I think what that does is you, it's kind of a protective mechanism before you have sex. If you have HIV, you just take this and it makes it pretty much impossible for you to pass on. Is that, I'm not quite sure how that's different to their normal therapy though, or is that just part of their normal? Look, to be honest, mate, I'm not going to comment because I don't know too much. But I do know that it is, it is, a, it is a, is it a, it is a game changer in uh, males having sex with males because, like we yes. said, uh, sexual transmission is about eighty um, percent, yeah. and then, and then the most, I guess, transmissible within that that group uh, or that mode of transmission is males having sex with males. So it is a game changer there. I think, yeah. I think also, so that's pre-exposure. Um, mm. With post exposure uh, or PEP, um, mm. if you if you have uh, you know, and actually this is something that sometimes in healthcare workers that they actually get put on for a while because when you have needle stick injuries uh, and stuff like that, which is a terrible mm. terrible situation to have, not only mm. for your own health but just the sheer amount of paperwork that you have to fill out. Um, <laughs> why would you have a needle stick injury? Um, if you use it within seventy two hours after exposure. Um, it is a it is a prophylactic agent as well, but not only for needle sticks, but open wounds um, and sexual intercourse um, as well. So, so, so that, is the idea there that if you accidentally expose yourself to HIV, you kind yeah. of stomp it into the ground before yes. it can take yes, root? Before it really takes hold. Before it really okay. takes hold. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and is there is there something with sort of like pregnant mums and stuff? Is there something that oh. how does that work? 
Yes, yes. So I think if you've got HIV and you're pregnant, yeah. um, they actually will put you on that CART therapy we mentioned, mm-hmm. that combination uh, therapy yeah. uh, throughout your pregnancy. And yeah. I think that reduces the likelihood of things like that vertical transmission we talked about. Yes. yes. I think they'll also uh do a c-section if Mm. your viral load's quite high Mm. and i think they also avoid breastfeeding because that's one of that's a route by which you can transmit it to the child also Um, yeah yeah fair enough fair Mm. enough and um yeah i can't think of anything else man i think we've almost time to pull up stumps yeah Yeah. i i totally agree feeling on top of it absolutely (laughs) absolutely very good very good so well, maybe, maybe then without further ado, uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, sorry, eight people for listening to our listening to our podcast. This is number three. Uh, okay, mate, good luck studying for exams, and I hope the first exam, the Oscars, went well. Um, and, yeah, so on behalf of Kevin and myself, the Prince of Perth, um, we're going to say uh, thank you for listening to Meaty Medicine. We'll catch you next time when two blokes chew the fat on all things meaty and medicine. Bye for now. Thanks very much, guys. See you later, Dwayne. See you, mate. Bye-bye.